Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Again, that's Acts 22, verses 1 through 21. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus, to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Kitty. Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Holy Trinity Church. I'm Sully. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I've been looking forward to preaching all week, thinking about all of you. I hope you've had a good week. I, I hope that if today, this past week has been a, maybe a challenging week or a discouraging week, an anxious week, uh, that today our time in God's Word would be like water to a thirsty plant, that it would revitalize us and rejuvenate us. Uh, I know that uh, this past week I've had a couple of really encouraging moments that I want to share with you. Uh, to start with, on Tuesday, I had the privilege of sitting down with a church planter uh, from Lebanon, from Beirut. It was a friend of ours who connected us, said you should meet, and so he came by our office and he joined us for our staff meeting on Tuesday. Got to hear about what God is doing on the other side of the world, how he is calling people to himself, and how he is building his church in the city of Beirut. 
And that was followed up with an incredible story on Wednesday night. Emily mentioned in her prayer uh, that we had an all-church picnic where we got to do, see some baptisms. And we got to hear the story of one family, uh, a gentleman who, from Iran who had a dream while he was in a refugee camp about Jesus. That brought him to faith. And he led others to faith. And then his wife, who was hesitant about coming to faith, uh, began to read the Bible on her own, uh, kind of on her own uh, time. And over a little bit of, of reading and seeing who Jesus was, came to believe as well. And they're here seeking asylum in the United States and get to celebrate their baptism on Wednesday was fantastic. Some pretty uh, incredible moments. And then on top of all that, my two children, Callahan and Kennedy, were baptized on Wednesday as well. It's, it's moments like that this past week that really, really bolster us and strengthen uh, me. I know that's for sure. Uh, I think I see Jeff here. Jeff Murs is in my community group, and I think he said it best this past summer in our book, our book group that we've, we've been having. He said that living in the city can sometimes feel isolating, and it can feel a little discouraging, or you can begin to, to feel like you're crazy when you're living and working in a space where you're the only believer. It's when you hear the story of what God is doing in other people's lives that you begin to remember that you're not alone. You're, you're not crazy for believing the gospel. Today, Holy Trinity Church, I want to talk to you about the power of story, the power of your story, of what God has done in your life. I believe that what a, a weary Christian, a weary follower of Jesus sometimes need is just to simply hear what God is doing in someone else's life. Stories, they have power to encourage us, but it also might be the very thing that God uses to bring someone to faith. Uh, today, in our text, we get to read the story of what God did in Paul's life, the incredible encounter that Paul had with our risen Lord. Uh, it's an incredible story, no doubt about that, uh, but today I want to I show you that what made Paul's story so incredible, the elements that made it extraordinary, are actually the same elements that make your story extraordinary. Uh, really, the big idea today is that when it comes to being a witness for Christ, your story is one of your greatest assets. I hope today that we can walk away from this time with a deeper appreciation, a, a new, a renewed understanding of the glorious story that God has given you. Uh, for those of you who are here today who may not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you're, you're welcome here. We are so thankful that you're here. I'm glad you're here, and I'm, I'm excited that I get the opportunity to share a story with you. Uh, just a one story about a guy named Paul who had this transformative experience, this encounter with Jesus. And today, I want to press upon you as that, that it's not just a story that happened in isolation, that was a one-time deal. No, you're sitting in a room with other people who have similar stories, just as powerful of stories. And I guess I would ask you today that if it's true, Paul's story, if it's true and if it's true that others in this room have similar stories, isn't following Jesus something worth considering? Uh, today, before we get too far down the road, I, I want to ask the Lord for his help. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Gracious Father, what a joy it is to be able to open up your word together, your scriptures that it speaks of itself as a mighty fortress, a, a place for us to take refuge, that you are our refuge, Father. For the bruised and the broken of the world, we can find uh, life and hope in you. Your word, it says, the, it goes out and it beckons us to this shelter, the shelter in our Savior, Jesus. And your word, it does not go out and return empty, Lord. It, it accomplishes its purposes. And so, Father, speak to us again today. Uh, we pray that we would hear your truth and I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
Lord, you might remind us once again of just the incredible privilege it is to have a story of transformation. We thank you for Paul's life and his story. And thank you, Father, that you are doing similar things in people still today. Father, I submit to you my preparation for this time. I pray, Father, that only what is right and true would stick with us, that it would take hold of us like concrete, Father, that it would, it would change the way we approach how we witness to your glorious gospel. Father, we pray all of this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Acts chapter 22. Um, you can meet me there. We're going to be looking at the text a number of times together. If you're like me, you hate when a TV show kind of comes to a close and it leaves you on a, just in a terrible cliffhanger. You're kind of like, why did I just spend all that time watching that if I don't know what the resolution was? Well, last week we kind of left you on a pretty big cliffhanger. We've been following the Apostle Paul, and he's been on this journey to the city of Jerusalem. Paul has been out and about on these different missionary journeys, sharing the gospel in different cities, and now he has this sense that he is to go back to the city of Jerusalem. And for a number of chapters, we've been kind of seeing and anticipating that when he arrives in Jerusalem, something difficult was going to await him there. When he was saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus, he actually tells them that the Spirit had made it clear to him that it would, uh, when he got there, imprisonment and affliction awaited him. On his journey back to Jerusalem, he also came across a prophet, Agabus, who bound his hands and his legs and said, this is what's going to happen to you when you arrive back in Jerusalem. So we've been building up to this moment, and last week Paul finally arrives in, in the city of Jerusalem, and he's in the temple, and he's praying, and, and some, a crowd begins to recognize him. And they begin to think, oh, that's the guy we have heard about, this guy who has been teaching Gentiles, who they thought was there to defile the temple or to desecrate their way of life. And so they begin to seize him and beat him. Well, things are confused. Uh, there's confusion and chaos. They're beating him, and it gets so bad that some Roman soldiers are called in to actually help uh, protect Paul. That I, they actually seize him and arrest him. You see, what's going on is that everyone's made some wrong conclusions about the Apostle Paul. This crowd, uh, this Jewish crowd, has believed that Paul is there to desecrate their way of life, defile the temple. And the Roman soldiers, well, they think that he's there as a, uh, someone from uh, Egypt to, who's going to cause a riot. And so Paul wants to get up and he wants to try to clear the air, try to correct their misunderstanding. Uh, in all of this, Paul begins to realize that in this moment of affliction, he has an opportunity for proclamation. And it's in the midst of this chaos and this confusion, uh, this beating that Paul's receiving, that he asks and receives permission to address the crowd. That's kind of really where we left off last week. Uh, and what we are going to look at today is that as he has this opportunity to speak, he tells them a story of what God has done in his life. There's only a few times in the book of Acts that, uh, that Paul's speeches or sermons were recorded in detail. And so it's noteworthy that Luke, the author of Acts, gives us such detail of what Paul says at this moment. Uh, and as he records or tells of what God did in his life, we should also notice that in the book of Acts, this isn't the first time we've heard this story. Actually, three times in the book of Acts do we get in detail Paul's story of encountering Jesus. It's a story worth telling. It's a story worth telling time and time again. Paul knew that. Paul knew the power of his own story, and so he takes this moment uh, to share it. And we're led to believe that the crowd that was gathered, they also wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Look back at the end of chapter 21. Luke, the author, building some suspense, verse 40, this is what he says. 
he sets the scene when he says that when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. The moment is set for Paul. And the question that we kind of ended on last week was, would Paul's message rise to the occasion? You could hear a pin drop. Everyone was anticipating, what would Paul say? What would Paul say in this moment? Well, Paul realizes that the most powerful thing he could say, the most uh, beautiful thing he could say to this crowd would be what God did in his life. Paul's not trying just to clear his name. He's not just trying to save his reputation. He's trying to take this moment to testify to what God did in his life. And before we get too far down the road, yes, we we just read this incredible story of Paul's life, and we're going to walk through it and see all the incredible things that God did. But as I said, what I want you to see today is that the elements that make Paul's story so extraordinary are the same elements that make your story extraordinary. That if this could happen in Paul's life, it also can happen in our life. How tragic would it be for us to walk away from this time today just thinking, wow, what a great story for Paul. That would be so sad. Because you and I also have been entrusted with an incredibly powerful story, a testimony to what God has done in our life. And so I'm going to actually walk through our passage. I want to point out really just three things about Paul's story that make it extraordinary. And I hope that as we walk through it, you might see that those same elements can be seen in your story and that we might walk away from this time together with a, with a deeper joy over our story, but also a determination, a joy that actually spills over, that wants to share it with others. Well, to begin with, the first element that I want to point out to you that makes Paul's story so extraordinary is that Paul tells this story in a way that testifies to the fact that he was an undeserving and an unlikely recipient of God's transforming grace. There's a contemporary pastor, uh, John Piper. You might have heard of him. He's written uh, just a few books. Uh, And one of the books he wrote was just a meditation on why he loves the Apostle Paul. That's really the, the book title of the book. is called Why I Love the Apostle Paul. And the first reason he gives for why he admires the Apostle Paul is that this is a man who has gone through an incredible change, a transformation in his life. He went from being a killer of Christians to a lover of Christ and his followers. In reflecting on this incredible change that took place in Paul's life, uh, Piper wrote this. He said that everything that causes me to love Paul flows from this change. Either it is all owing to a great delusion or a great hoax, or it is worthy of my deepest amazement and admiration. The kind of human soul that emerges from his letters is not the soul of a deluded fanatic or a deceptive shyster. Why I believe this is largely what this book is about. The the transformation in Paul, Paul's life, doesn't come about because of some kind of human uh, willpower or effort, but it's only because of a divine intervention in this man's life. Paul understood that the transformation that took place in his life would testify to God's goodness and God's grace, and so he begins telling his story by describing his life before he met Christ. Really, we can break down Paul's story into three sections. He describes his life before Christ, he describes how he met Christ, and then begins to describe how his life changed. So look back at verse 3 as he begins to describe his life before Christ. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, brought up in the city, educated by the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God 
as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul starts his story by describing himself as a devout Jew. No one could deny the fact that he grew up in a Jewish family, that he was born in a Jewish city. He was brought up in the understanding of a strict way of a manner of following the law. He was really conformed to this view of the law that valued it above everything else. He was zealous for keeping the law, so zealous that he wanted to see other people who didn't seem to be following the law like him to be punished. And that's really what he assumed about the people who followed Christ, this, this way, as it was called. And so he devoted his life to persecuting Christians. And he tells them that their accusations against him, that he was there to defile the temple or that he wasn't Jewish enough, that those accusations couldn't hold up because his own life story shows that he was someone who was devoted to the Jewish way of life. But Paul describes himself in these terms with another purpose in mind. He wants the people that he is speaking to to understand that, that really Paul was this unlikely and undeserving person to encounter God's transforming grace. Remember just for a second the context. Paul was just being beaten up by the Jewish crowd. And they have, they have seized him because they've assumed that, well, Paul's there to defile them, that he's really anti-Jewish. And, and really what Paul has been able to do by telling his story is to push back on that accusation but more so, he's able to tell them that they can identify with Paul. They, they too, it says, were zealous for the law. And Paul says, I was probably even more zealous than you were for the law. Uh, you know, the, the council of elders, the high priest, it says, they couldn't deny the fact that just a few years ago, they had, just, they had given him permission, given him authority to go and arrest Christians to those who followed Christ. They were the ones who actually pointed out that, that this man, Paul, was zealous for God's law. Well, in Paul describing himself this way, he wants the people to see themselves in Paul. They want, Paul wants them to see that what happened to him could happen to them. That he, being an unlikely and undeserving recipient of God's grace, means that if he could experience it, anybody could have experienced his transforming grace. Here, the, the first element that I just said is that makes Paul's story extraordinary is the fact that, that he was really unsuspecting and undeserving recipient of God's transforming grace. And if you think about your own story, isn't that true for you? Paul was a murderer of Christians. He would be the farthest person you would think would be deserving of God intervening and blessing him. You might think of yourself as, well, yeah, I've got a story, but man, I, didn't have, I, haven't, I haven't gone through that much. I wasn't a murderer. I wasn't that undeserving. But if we really think about our own stories, we need to be reminded that, yes, we too were undeserving, that we too were unlikely converts to following Jesus. I used to think that the, most, the best testimonies were those of people who could tell transforming stories of maybe being in bondage to drugs or sexual promiscuity and transform their whole life, and those are beautiful and powerful stories. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that simple stories people growing up that maybe can't point to a single moment in their life that transformed it all, but simply over time could see transformation. Well, those stories, too, are incredible testimonies of God's extraordinary grace. 
your story, I hope, if it's like that, it, that you too would realize that your story is just one more thread in this tapestry of the witness of God's transforming power in the world. Uh, my own story, I think of, is not too flashy. I grew up in a, a stable home, two parents, good education. I, I had uh, friends. My, I was healthy. And yet, when I link, think back on my own story, I realize that if it was not for God intervening in my life, then I would probably have grown up to believe that family and health and wealth were the things that could ultimately satisfy me in life. There's no good explanation for a person living in relative security and comfort to ever turn to the living God. It is only by God's grace that you and I are brought to awareness of who God is, to encounter that transforming power of the grace of God. So what I want you to hear today is that, yes, Paul's story is extraordinary, but so is yours that you too were an unlikely and undeserving recipient of God's transforming grace. Paul later wrote to the church in Ephesus. He would write this to remind them that we all are undeserving. He wrote, We all were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Holy Trinity Church, do not underestimate the power of your story. Every testimony stands as a witness to the power and grace of God. And your story, it might be the very story that somebody needs to hear. I love that Paul, he is speaking to this crowd, this crowd that was just a few moments ago beating him. He now speaks with compassion. He speaks to them in a way, he refers to them as brothers and fathers, and he speaks to them in a language that they could understand. Paul is trying to tell his story in a way that they would hear it. His tone and his tenor is not one of anger and indignation. He is speaking in a way that they might see themselves in Paul. So it is with our stories. When we speak of our own lives, the fact that we too were undeserving, it actually allows others to identify with us. There was a, a guy who attended Holy Trinity Church for a while while he lived in, in Chicago, and he has an incredible story of experiencing freedom uh, through the gospel from a life of bondage to drugs and anxiety. And he realized that he had a pretty powerful story, and so he wanted to steward it well. So he got involved in a prison ministry where he got to regularly tell people of his story. And he told it in a way that others could identify with his story. He wasn't afraid to tell of his past mistakes, his past sins, the things that plagued his life once, the things that once caused him to be ashamed because he knew that God had redeemed that part of his life. And because of that, he was incredible at telling his story. And many he brought to faith through that ministry of simply telling his story. Holy Trinity Church, what I want you to grasp today is a renewed sense of the incredible fact that you are undeserving of God's transforming grace. But I hope that you are reminded today that you don't need to be ashamed of our past sin or shame because God can use that part of your life for your good and for his glory. So, Holy Trinity Church, let us be bold in sharing our story with others that they might see themselves and might also realize that they too can encounter God's transforming grace. But let me keep moving in Paul's story. He moves from telling us about his life before Christ to begin to the, talk about the moment that changed his life forever. 
this encounter that he had. He not only encountered transforming grace, but he encountered God himself. And so the second element that Paul's story that makes it so extraordinary is that he encountered God himself. He was able to see and God revealed his son to him personally. Well, maybe you grew up, like I said, with a story that you can't point to that single moment that transformed your life. Uh, I hope, I pray that my children would have just faint and few memories of a life that uh, before they followed Christ. I hope that's true, but there is, with that said, there is still something beautiful and good about someone that can point back to a moment that changed it for them. A moment where the lights kind of went on, when the Spirit revealed uh, Jesus to them. Paul had a moment like that in his life. Look back at verse 6 as he describes it for us. He says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. Paul here begins to retell the story of the moment that he met Christ, the living Savior. Paul encountered Jesus in a startling way. He was on his way to Damascus. He probably left Jerusalem with feeling pretty proud of himself. He was given this authority by the high priest and the council of elders. He was probably pretty... Uh, thinking he was pretty strong, uh, pretty self-righteous, and yet he would arrive in Damascus a very different person, weak and humbled, blind, needing to be helped to find his way in. Well, what happened on that road to Damascus, he tells us, he says at one moment, Jesus appeared to him in a brilliantly bright light, so bright that it blinds him, and Jesus speaks to him, says, uh, why are you persecuting me? Paul, realizing what was... Uh, astounded by what was taking place, asks, uh, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. I don't know whether it was what he saw or what he heard, but Paul immediately turns into uh, surrender. He says, what am I to do, Lord? And Jesus says, you are to go on to Damascus, and there you will learn what has been appointed for you. Here, Paul is turned from a proud, self-righteous man to a repentant servant, it's in this moment that he encountered the living Savior that it changed his life forever. Scripture uh, recounts a number of times that people encounter God in his full glory. And really, Scripture talks about it as kind of a terrifying experience. Moses was, was on a, had to be kept in a, in a cleft of a, of a hill, protected as the presence of God went by. Later on, in G, uh, when Jesus and his disciples went up on a, on a mountain and Jesus was transfigured into his full glory, the disciples fell to the ground uh, confused, but also in awe of what they saw. I believe that humanity's inability to comprehend and to stand in the presence of God just goes to show us how undeserving we are for God to reveal himself to us. But, but God, those beautiful words from the book of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians, reminds us that our rebellious nature, our finite intellect, our lack of imagination, our sin, those aren't barriers that are going to keep God from showing and revealing himself to us. God, being gracious and merciful, humbled himself, taking on flesh so that the invisible God might become visible to us. 
Sure, Jesus may not have appeared to you in a bright light like he did to Paul. Maybe he didn't appear to you like in a dream, like the testimony we heard at the church picnic, but maybe he appeared to you in the ordinary means of his word, his church, his people. It is an extraordinary thing that God would reveal himself and desire to have a personal relationship with you. You know, uh, friendships we have with people for long time, for years, are probably the, the strongest relationships you have. Uh, those value, the, the value of those relationships for us, uh, can sometimes, we can sometimes forget how valuable they are when a faithful friend is always there for us, always there through thick and thin. Sometimes we can grow maybe so accustomed that, uh, that we forget and we take for granted just how amazing it is, those friendships. I wonder if the reason that you and I sometimes aren't eager to always be talking and telling about this Savior who we encountered is because we've come so accustomed to the presence of God in our life. That somehow we've just become so used to the fact that the living God, the creator of the universe, that you're on first name basis with, that you can talk to anytime you want. I think today, Holy, Holy Trinity Church, that we need, we need to be reminded again of the astounding fact that the living God is willing to commune with us, to know us, to reveal himself to us. I hope that as we think about the very fact that God has made himself known to you, that that would, that would spill over into just this joy that can't be quieted, that we would tell people of this person who has made all the difference in our life. I hope that when we realize that what made Paul's story extraordinary also makes our story extraordinary, that we too would not be quieted, that we would tell all about the one who made us, who made the difference in our life. For those of you who like alliteration, like myself, I can summarize everything so far in this way. Paul's testimony is extraordinary because, one, it is a witness to the world that recipients of God's transforming grace, or excuse me, that it bears witness to the world concerning the transforming power of the gospel. That's the first thing that makes it extraordinary. Secondly, it bears witness to the tangible presence of God. And lastly, as we turn to the last part of Paul's story, it bears witness to the new purpose that God gives us in our life. Paul's testimony, it moves, like I said, from telling us about his life before Christ, then he tells us how he encountered him, and now he begins to describe his, the new trajectory of his life. And so he tells us about the new purpose uh, to his life that he received. It says that Paul went on to uh, the city of Damascus, had to be helped along to get there. He was blind. And a man named Ananias arrives, a man that we're told was thought of well by the, the Jewish community. I wonder if those in the crowd listening to Paul would have maybe even known Ananias, someone that they respected. He, too, is a follower of Jesus, and Ananias, and comes, and he speaks to Paul and says, receive your sight. And immediately Paul receives his sight again. Kind of a physical reminder of something that's happening on the inward side for Paul. He finally receives sight to see clearly, see the truth. I love the fact that Ananias then is the one that God uses to tell Paul what his purpose in life will be. That he is going to be a witness to, to all people of, of what he has seen and what he has heard. I love that, that God uses people like us, the normal people, to be a part of his redeeming purposes in the world. That God would use someone like Ananias in Paul's extraordinary story. It just goes to show that God wants to use us and our stories, a small role in revealing who God is to the world, that God might use us like he did Ananias in Paul's life. Well, as I said, Ananias tells Paul that, 
his new purpose in life will be to witness to all that he had seen and heard. And so Paul goes on and he returns to Jerusalem and he's praying and God speaks to him, affirming what Ananias told him. Uh, He needs to leave Jerusalem. His life is in jeopardy and he is told that he is going to be sent to the Gentiles. Paul goes on to become a witness uh, to uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. His life goes on to be about telling people of the great transformation in his life. He goes on to be this incredible witness, a missionary, going from a murderer to a missionary. Paul gets to speak in his testimony about how he got to where he is in life. Paul takes the opportunity to explain that, that everything in his life is owed to that moment when he encountered the living Savior. Paul, in the book of Acts, has recorded these incredible missionary journeys, incredible things that he did. Before he met Christ, he was kind of a a speeding car, a one-track lane, and if it was not for God intervening and setting him upon a whole new track, his life would not have looked this way. Paul is trying to explain to the crowd why he has done what he has done. Everything that he has done, this accusation that he was wrong to go speak to the Gentiles, well, it was divinely appointed for him to go do this. You know, Holy Trinity Church, your story too has the opportunity to explain to others why you live the life you live, why you have a new purpose in life, why you approach life differently. When you have the opportunity to give testimony to what God's done in your life, you should take that as an opportunity to explain why and how you approach life and how Christ has changed that in you. Maybe you have a a new uh, purpose in life, but maybe you have a new peace, Uh, maybe you approach your work, maybe you have a a new understanding of money, whatever it might be, God changes the way we approach our life. And, and when we have the opportunity, we should explain to people how we came to that, those conclusions, why we have this new purpose in our life. What is so beautiful and powerful about our story is that God gives us new purpose in life. And so we should be eager to tell other people about that. It's at this point in Paul's story that the crowd remembers that They don't like what Paul was doing. They don't like this new purpose that he has in life. And so they interrupt him. They begin to shout again that he would be arrested and taken away. I think it's an incredible reminder for us that when we have the opportunities to share, when we tell our testimonies, it's not always going to end up that people are going to turn to the Lord. Uh, Success in evangelism, successful witnesses aren't always going to have the results that they want. As a campus uh, ministry worker, I worked for Uh, campus ministry for a while, and we used to train students about evangelism, and we would say that success, how do we define success in evangelism, is simply taking a step of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and leaving the results to God. And Paul, uh, he understood that. He understood that he wasn't going to be able to somehow change uh, change this crowd's opinion or change the way that they responded, but his role was simply to take a step of faith and trust the results to God. I hope, Holy Trinity Church, that you and I today would take that same approach, that we would bear witness faithfully, leaving the results to the Lord. I want to press upon you again that, yes, Paul's story is extraordinary, but so is yours. Let's harness the power of our story for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of God. And so as we kind of come to a conclusion this morning, I want to share some practical things with you today, some things that you can do even this next week. Uh, For starters, I want you to prepare. Prepare your story. Take time to reflect on on what God has done in your life. And maybe this works, uh, or may this 
look like writing it down. It may look like writing it out for yourself and getting it clear, uh, understanding uh, what God has done. You don't want to just kind of verbally vomit on people when you have the opportunity. You want to you be clear, right, with what it is God has done. And so follow the same template that Paul used. Use those three prompts. Describe your life before you met Christ. Describe how you met Christ, and then describe your life since then. When I was a student at DePaul and part of a campus ministry, uh, we, we did a campaign called the Before and After Campaign, and we all wrote out our testimonies, and uh, it was able to ex- kind of get clarity around what God did in our life, and we then summarized it with two words. We chose one word that described our life before we met Christ, and then one word that described our life after Christ. And we recorded our testimonies as, as a way to explain how that transformation took place, and we posted it on social media, and, and for a week, we all wore t-shirts that had our two words on it. You could see people all around campus with these shirts that said, you know, bitter to reconciled, anxious to peaceful, lost and found. It was incredible to just see all the different ways that people could articulate the transformation they experienced. So I ask you, you know, do you have two words? Two words that you could use to describe your life before Christ and a word to describe your, your life since then. And your testimony should actually be the opportunity to explain who it is the very person who made that transformation in your life. I think writing out your testimony actually helps you to prepare how to, how to wrap up your testimony. I think good testimonies always finish with a question or an invitation to learn more. Maybe it's an invitation to someone to join you in community group or to join you at church or maybe to read one-to-one with. But as you share what God has done in your, done in your life, the purpose of that is to actually tell them that they too can experience what you experienced. And so help them to know what the next step would be. Prepare your story, but a part of that preparation is also prayer. Holy Trinity Church, let's, let's be about praying through our testimonies. Might this week, as you think and reflect on what God has done in your life, might that bring back just a sense of joy at what God's done in your life? Might it bring you to thanksgiving? And might it bring you to a place of gratitude? But may it lead you to begin to think of others that you would desire to share that good news with. Think about particular people. Write them down. Pray about those folks. Pray that the Lord would provide you natural opportunities to share your testimony with them. So if you prepare well and you pray, the last thing I encourage you to do is be intentional about making space to share your story. Uh, one of the ways this could look is, is by asking your coworkers or your friends a sometime question. Uh, you could ask them uh, something like, hey, sometime I would love to share, I'd love to hear your story and to share my story with you. Would you be open to that sometime? I mean, more often than not, people are always open to that. When they say yes, set a time, set a date, invite them over. Make space in your life to be able to share your story with others. That might look like having lunch with a coworker, having coffee, going out to have a drink with someone after work, or inviting them over for dinner, creating those natural spaces that are uh, really uh, disarming, that become natural for you to share your story. For us, God has given us incredible stories that when it comes to being witnesses to what God has done, your story is one of your greatest assets. So I hope today that you, uh, you would harness that once again for God's glory. I'll finish with this quick thought here. We all would think it would be foolish and tragic if a farmer tried to do his work by simply using a, a trellis to try to uh, plant seeds and to, to turn over his, his land when he has an entire fleet of tractors at his disposal. So it is true for us, Holy Trinity Church, that we have this powerful story at our disposal, this great resource to be able to witness to what God is doing in our life. And 
Let's use it. Let's tell people about what God's done in our life. There is power in our stories. Someone who knew the power of story was Winston Churchill. President John F. Kennedy, he once said that Winston Churchill, he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. Might we harness our stories and send it into battle as, a, as witness to what God is doing in our life and in this world for the good of our neighbor and the glory of our Savior. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving Father, we are so thankful today that the story that Paul recounts in this text is a story that is not uncommon, that it is happening today, that people are finding new life, that, Lord, you are the one who is revealing your transforming power, your presence, and your new purposes. Father, I pray that we would be bold, that we would be courageous, that, Father, what it looks like to bear witness to you today in this city, in this world today, is to simply tell of the marvelous deed that you have done in our life. Father, we worship you and we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen.